This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance too with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance, and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. Yo, it is another edition of the High Hopes Podcast as we come to you from the first official day off for Major League Baseball in three and a half months, Jack Fritz, it is the first day of the All-Star break. I am currently looking at Bryce Harper potentially choke away the home run derby. We shall see. Kyle Schwarber is an animal. More importantly, Reese Hoskins brought it on the national stage. Jack Fritz, what's up, my friend? Yeah, I mean, Reese is great. And I. it was cool because they were talking about during his second run there how he was personally thinking about uh, how if he does well, then it just helps the Phillies on a national stage. And I just think that's so crazy for a 25-year-old who has played in 115, maybe, career games um, to be that conscious about growing the Phillies brand. Like, as a guy who revolves his life around his brand, the fact that Reese Hoskins is so uh, <laughs> interested in the growth of the Phillies brand, I think that's really cool. And he did great. Uh, and he really just put on a show, and I think a lot of people are going to remember this Reese Hoskins performance. Yeah, I think he's closer to 150-ish games, if I'm guessing. Regardless, the man has not played a full M- uh, Major League Baseball season. And and like you said, I think he really did. Um, first of all, the fact that he's even thinking about how the Phillies look on the national stage and not him and his opportunity is an insane, insane thing to think about. But also, like you said, he really put on a show. I, I was really impressed with the way he was. It- it- it's just so funny because he's such a rhythm hither. Like you could even see it in the home run derby. He would just get locked in and it would go like five in a row, six in a row. And that that step and just pop, step and pop and just repeating that exact delivery. Um, I- you know, look, st- some people hate the home run derby. Some people don't really care too much about it. I personally think with the new changes they've made, I think it's a lot of fun, Jack. Yeah, yeah, and I'm watching Bryce Harper try to tie this thing up right now. And it's just like, you know, I feel like everything with this guy is freaking scripted. You know, everything from from the hairdo, from the the headband to the shoe, it's all just like, it's all scripted. It all feels fake. And watch, he'll probably win the whole thing on like a walk-off and it'll just all be fake. He's just a very fake person. However, he he would look great here in, in red pinstripes. Wow. Look, look I, at this. I look w- at this. Look how fake this is. I wasn't this expecting is all just so fake and f- He's not gonna win, I don't think. Like, I don't think no, he's he just gonna tied win. It up. He just tied it up? It, oh, it just, I'm behind you. I'm watching on the stream. Wow. So he went on a yeah. run here. This is a riveting podcast. Uh, action here jack but look um I sh- sure uh, I, I think you'll take all that back as soon as the <laughs> phillies give him 400 million dollars but well, right now i'm just saying if i'm just saying if you really cared about america and the constitution that you have on your uh, cleats bryce harper you would come to philadelphia the home of the cleats uh, and the home of the the, the declaration of independence 
and all that good stuff. It's a, it's They're a on his cleats. Terrifically fair point there. Uh, Fritzy. That's what I try to bring here. Yeah. I try to bring balance to this podcast. I can't believe you hate Harper, though. I feel like Harper's the kind of guy you I don't would hate like. Har- it's just that tonight, I really am. I'm, I, it's just, it's annoying. Like, why is, why is everything so scripted with you? It just, it seems all fake. I have a very good, like, fake slash phony meter. Like, I can tell if you're a fake person <laughs> within, like, two, like, maybe two minutes of meeting you. And his fake meter is just going off the roof right now. All right, I'll roll with that. Uh, <laughs> um, yeah, yeah okay. it's fair. Look, I think when you're on the cover of Sports Illustrated when you're 16 years old and you grow up differently, and it's hard to to really compare them to uh, to real human beings, which is a strange thing to say. But I, I, look, I, I like the way he plays the game. He plays with fire. He, he wants to win. And uh, look, sometimes he's a knucklehead, but he's also still incredibly young. So. Um, I'm with you. Uh, he hasn't really been a knucklehead in a while. He's definitely higher on the D meter than some other guys are. We'll leave it at that. But look, Jack, we're, we're burying the lead here because we're talking about the one free agent superstar at the end of the season instead of the other. Because it's all Manny Machado here, Jack. The, the, all of a sudden, we were all out. We were all like, you know, chill. It's all right. They're not going to do anything stupid. We're okay with that. And now we're all in. We're at the point, Jack, where I feel collectively and certainly myself that if the Phillies, and, and look, I think that if I had to bet, I would bet that they are the team with, quote, unquote, the deal done right now. But I, if it doesn't happen, Jack, I think most of Phillies Nation is going to be disappointed at this point. Yeah, no, I agree. I think I think we would be devastated. And for the longest time, me, you, and a lot of the High Hopes listeners and, and Johnny Marks, we've all been pretty calm on the, on the Manny Machado thing. And then it was like, well, he's probably going to be a Philly, and we're like all in. It, it's, it's crazy. And, like, we're trying to be smart about this, but I'm kind of at the point where I don't care about <laughs> being smart, and I want to I have a fun Manny Machado if it's two months, which, like, would suck if he left. But I just don't think he would leave. Like, players that come to Philadelphia, no matter the sport, end up loving it here. They always love it here. They love the crowds. They love, and they're going to love $400 million that John Middleton's going to fork over to him. He'll love that. But I'm just saying that, that athletes that come here get engulfed by the culture here. And I think that would happen with Manny Machado. I think he would look at it and be like, wow, I can be the best player on a young, improving team. I can get paid $400 million. I'm going to get my ass back to third base because I don't want your ass at shortstop anymore, Manny. You're going to... You're going to take your freaking, what is it, your little cousin who says you should play for the Yankees, and you're going to get him to shut his little little crap up, and you're going to be playing, you're going to be all excited that he's coming to Citizens Bank Park next year, Manny Machado's cousin, I think you are. Um, but, yeah, no, it's, it's, it's cool. It's fun, and I just want to announce that John Middleton has joined Drew Hanlon as one of the ten most important people in my life. I'm sure they will both be incredibly... Um touched honored and humbled and honored especially middleton i mean that's probably what he's worked for to get to this point where the jack fritz would say that he is that important to him but look i'm with you and and we'll get to middleton in a minute because i i have some thoughts on that and then we'll get to the jerry krasnick uh, i don't know if you call it report but you know tweet or or thought that he put out there the 
the Middleton Harper Machado thing, but couple quick thoughts on the Machado thing. I think that long-term he will move back to third base. He's obviously, uh, I heard Joe Giglio on the afternoon show with you uh, today and Mark's uh, talking about, he said he's a hundred times better as a third baseman than a shortstop. I think he's a million times better as a third baseman than a shortstop. It's not even the same type of league. He is an outstanding third baseman and he's a bad shortstop. It's that simple. He's big. He's lumbering. He's not built to play the position. I think the reason he's been so staunch on it is that, look, shortstops make more money. It's a fact. And I think that once the dude gets paid, he'll be more than willing to sacrifice the shortstop thing for the longevity of the bat and the career and the, and the better defensive position. But um, to your other points, I'm with you. I think that right now, especially if it's a package centered around guys like Adonis Medina and Jalen Ortiz and whatever, guys I like and, and I was excited about in – a theoretical sense, but guys, I'm more than happy to give up right now for the chance at, at like you said, two months of Machado, not just to, to kind of supercharge this run this season, but also the opportunity to get him in here and to have that, whatever that leg up is on the competition. It is at least something that you can point to, especially when you know that Middleton's going to take care of the other part of it, the checkbook part of it. So let's get to your guy, Middleton. As Jerry Krasnick over the weekend, also one of the, probably in in my opinion, of all the bombshell tweets that came out in a, a two-day period about the whole Machado thing and all that stuff, Krasnick comes in with the haymaker saying, John Middleton is is aggressively... Uh, you know, willing to spend and that sources have said that they wouldn't be surprised if he went for both Machado and Harper in the offseason. Jack, uh, look, <laughs> a couple thoughts on this. First, obviously, the, the general thought of that possibility, but also owner involvement, you know, throughout history, the history of sports, more often than not, Owners that get involved in in personnel or in pushing for things generally end up having a bad effect on the team. What's your take on the, this whole Middleton coming in with haymakers situation? Or they win the Super Bowl, like like Jeff Lurie did. Hey, so, uh, it's kind of it's kind of tough, but like I understand the history of owners getting involved, but also I understand that like pushy owners also care and they get stuff done. And if he is just willing to write a blank check for Manny Machado, I don't care about giving up a Donuts Medina and, a, and an outfield prospect, which I heard today. Like I, I've heard that it's going to be a Donuts Medina and an outfield prospect. And according to this source that was talking to Joe Giglio, he said that he said that Andy McPhail is a magician because the, the Yankees offer was better and so is, like, this other team's offer. Like, the Phillies don't even have the best offer, offer, but because of McPhail's relationship, like, apparently that's what's, like, I don't know. It's crazy. But it's supposedly it's Medina and an outfield prospect. I don't know what the outfield prospect is, but still. Um, I like involved owners, and I like that owners that care. And John Middleton clearly cares. And I think that he's just saying to Matt Klensack, listen, buddy, you go get him. I'll pay him. Don't worry about don't worry about the money. I will pay for him. I want to win now. I want to win big. And it's not like you're you're bringing in Manny Machado to a a, a, a a team on the rocks. Like this is a team that's only getting better with with the young stars. So like 
I don't know. I, in this case, I think it's fine. Now, if this was like 2012 and you have um, ownership coming in and saying, no, you can't get rid of Chase Utley. You can't get rid of Jimmy Rollins. You can't get rid of Ryan Howard. I think that's a mistake. But when your owner's coming in and saying, hey, I want to go get a top five player, future Hall of Famer, uh, and I'll pay him whatever it takes. Just get him here. Uh, I, I like that. Yeah, look, I feel the same way about Middleton, especially in this specific situation. I think, look, to your point about uh, the Orioles taking a worse package, they're the Orioles, so sure. I'd believe it. They've been so mismanaged now for really since McPhail and Klintak were there. Um, it's really been just one bad decision after another, and, and now they're obviously in a situation where they have to sell off the one great generational talent they've had come through there in a little while. So, um, look, I, I wouldn't put it past them to take a worse offer. And also, look, with, with those prospects, beauties in the eye of the beholder, right? Some teams value Adonis Medina more than others. You hope that the Orioles are one of those teams that see something special in him. But I also think that um, I, I, I heard that too, uh, the Gilia, what Gilia reported or, or said on the afternoon show. And, and look, I love it. I hope he's right. I, I'm, I'm at the point where, where Jack, there are so many rumors and so many things that have come out and so many twists and turns that I, I'm just, it, it needs to happen. I, I don't, I can't believe anything else. I can't do anything else. And my heart is so ready to be broken, Jack. How much can I take if this doesn't work? I, I just, I, do you, all right, let's put it this way. Do you think it's going to happen? Yeah, I would be floored. Wow. I would be floored wow. if that happened. Like, it just, it, everything, everything is just adding up. It really is. And you know what? You know what is, is, is just staying in the back of my brain, this whole entire thing, is two years ago, we started he hearing rumblings about John Middleton wanting to be Steinbrenner of the South and how the Phillies are this sleeping giant. And guess what, baby? That sleeping giant's being awoken right now because they're going to turn into the bully of the National League again, the Yankees of the South. I am, I am just all in. Like I, I understand the owners getting involved thing. Yeah, whatever, I don't. I Steinbrenner's, that, a, you know, it, 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 some Steinbrenner went well, but it also went pretty horrifically for a large portion of time as well. I understand, but like at the same time, man, like. They have all the money in the world. They have. I, I don't view this. At, I just don't view it as a two, as a two month rental. And, but I think that if Machado doesn't come here, I think it's. I think it'd be very hard to convince him to come here. I really do. And I know that sounds pessimistic, but I think if he does not come here and, and spend two months and get in the culture, and because I think that a lot of people have bad misconceptions about Philadelphia, and I think until they play sports here, I don't think they understand how awesome of a city this is. Like, you know, you, you hear from everywhere. Like, oh, man, it smells like trash all the time and whatever. Listen, if you played sports here, you would understand how awesome of a city it is to play in and live in. And I think if they don't get him for two and a half months, Manny Machado will never understand how awesome that wow. is. And he'll go to New York. And, and, and what I just, I just, that's how I feel. Like, See, I, I, I genuinely feel that if he doesn't come here, I just don't think he's, he's going to come here if they don't trade for him. I, I see. I, I, that part I don't disagree with. I agree with your premise that that playing here and, and coming here would matter in the sense that I, I do agree with you that it is. It's obviously a very special sports city. And it's an amazing city to play for, and the fans are passionate and they're smart and all that stuff. But 
I don't I don't think that that him going somewhere else, especially if it's the Dodgers or something like that, the Brewers. I don't see the Brewers re-signing him. If he goes to another place and he's just going out on the open market and there isn't a spot where where the allure is strong, I think the Phillies could absolutely outbid another team for him. Absolutely could. Like you just said, Milton's willing to, to pony up and he knows this front office like it's not like he's gonna be like oh philly boo like look he already referenced he's seen that we have we want manny signs and all that type of stuff he's not an idiot he seems like a bright dude um i, I get where you're coming from and i think your your core point is right about philadelphia and playing here but i don't think that him getting traded somewhere else precludes him from coming here especially if it's one of those other two teams that have been considered quote unquote the front runner for him, but but to your point about Middleton, I, I I just again I agree with you. I think that when he went on Angelo's show, uh, you know what was it about a year ago or something, and he just said all the right things. And and look, that doesn't mean anything, but it just felt real. It felt like he's a fan of this team and he wants them to win, and he's willing to do whatever it takes. I, I do think there is a very slippery slope once you start changing personnel decisions or getting involved with stuff like that, I start to worry. But I think at least up till now, it seems like he's given McPhail and Clentac a lot of autonomy, a lot of, you know, agency to do what they think is right. And that's all you can ask for from an owner and then to open up the checkbook. Yeah. Um, yeah. I, I, I just, I think if he goes to Milwaukee, obviously he'll hit the open market. If he goes to Arizona, he'll hit the open market. But, like, I just think he'll – I don't think he'll fully understand what it's like playing in Philadelphia. And then he'll and then he'll just say, oh, well, let's go to the Yankees. And they just went on a deep World Series run. He'll view himself as, like, putting them over the top. I don't know. I'd just be worried if they didn't get him. I'd be more worried about him going to New York if he goes to Milwaukee or doesn't end up here. Like, I, I the Yankees thing is just in the back of my mind how they can still outbid pretty much everyone, even though – you know, they can't really outbid us. Like, they have to pay a luxury tax. They have to pay that's, that fresh That's exactly. And Hal is not George. Hal is much more fiscally conservative. Plus, you know, it's not going to be that long before Aaron Judge needs to get paid and Luis Severino needs to get paid and all that type of stuff. So, I mean, they still have some time with those guys. But, um, uh, look, I, I think that I think the Phillies, with their situation in terms of, like, like $64 million or something set for next year total. I mean, they are way below the luxury tax and can absolutely are, are the team from a financial perspective, best equipped to, to sign Machado or Harper or yeah. whatever. Yeah. And, and uh, Jim Salisbury was on our show today and he was just saying how uh, the Phillies for a year now have just been determined to get this guy. Like no matter what it takes, no matter whatever, uh, the 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 money, the prospects, like they have been determined for over a year to get this guy, and I just I just think they're gonna get him. I think they're gonna sign him long term. I think he's gonna love it here. I don't, obviously I don't think he's gonna sign on the the second he gets traded here. I just don't think that's gonna happen. But I think when he comes into free agency, we're gonna like listen. I'm gonna wake up every day in a cold sweat hmm. until he signs that extension. But I just think that once free agency starts. It's going to be down to us and the Yankees, and I just, I just have a really good feeling that he's going to sign a long-term deal here, four hundred million, whatever. It's he's a twenty-six-year-old Hall of Fame caliber player at third base. Like you do that deal every day of the week. Yeah, well, I mean, look, it makes sense. These guys, you know, in Clintac and McPhail, like they drafted Manny Machado. They, 
they know him. He is someone who they probably take pride in the fact that they they saw him and and you know developed him and and what he's become. So mm-hmm. it certainly makes sense. And we've all been talking about them gearing up for 2019 with Machado and Harper in their sights. So. Look, it could come a little earlier than we expected. Hopefully you and I are talking on an emergency podcast tomorrow, or I guess tomorrow for for most people who hear this. I'm talking about Wednesday, Thursday, somewhere in there to just talk about Manny Machado being a Philly Jack Fritz. But let's have a little fun. Uh, It's going to be so sweet. It's going to be so sweet. But until that happens, let's have a little fun. Let's look back at the first half of the season. I'm going to throw a few of the classic uh, you know, awards, uh, first half award type things at you, maybe a couple uh, other superlatives as well. But let's start with the the obvious one. Fritzy, who is your Phillies MVP through the first half of the season? Aaron Nola. Yep. I would, I would, I would say it's Nola. Uh, he was an all-star. He pitched like an ace. Uh, he just asserted himself as a top 10 pitcher in the entire game. Uh, and I mean, literally he would just roll out of bed, seven innings, less than two runs. Uh, they uh, pitcher wins don't really matter anymore, but they win a lot when he pitches and it's because he just gives them a chance to win every time, every single time he goes out there. Um, they're not in the position they are without Aaron Nola being the complete stopper that he is. Aaron Nola has been, uh, just, just really a, a treat to watch this year. I love watching Aaron Nola and, uh, yeah, he'll be my first half MVP. Yeah, look, I think he's the uh, the obvious choice from a playing perspective. He is, uh, you know, him, Scherzer, DeGrom, the the three clear leaders for the NL Cy Young right now at this point yep. in the season. So I'm with you. I'll go another way just because he took the obvious player who has been the clear MVP, the stopper, the ace of this team. But I'm going to give the MVP to Gabe Kapler. How about that? I know he's not a player, hey. but he was before. He's close enough to being a player. And uh, he's just done such a great job, man. And I know you and I have talked a lot about this, but, you know, I think that the easiest way to look at it is to look at a team that is in first place in the NL East that is the youngest team in baseball and has not really clicked offensively, defensively. The bullpen has struggled. Um, And what this guy's done to bring it together uh, from both the culture perspective and a a team that goes out and fights every day type of perspective. Uh, you know, I, I know you have too, but I've just been so impressed with him. I think he's my MVP for the first half, Fritzy. No, it's fair. I mean, and us on the High Hopes podcast, we're a bunch of Gabe guys, just Gabe guys all over the place. And he is, he has been great. And, and the thing is, when we started this podcast, me and you were, were very much in on Gabe. We, we liked him a lot. He was our, he was our, our guy. We wanted them and, to hire him before he got hired is the point. Yeah, yeah. We, we really like Gabe Kapler. And the first month of the season, we were defending him out of principle. It was like, it's way too early to judge this guy. Uh, the bullpen's not that great. The staff isn't pitching that well, offensive, all that stuff. But we were just defending him out of principle. It was just like, we just all thought that this was too early to, to jump down Gabe Kapler's throat. We don't think he's an idiot. James. He legitimately might be a really good manager. Mm-hmm. Like he might be, he, he might be a really good manager. The way he's managing this bullpen, uh, the way he's kind of settled into uh, a lineup, he, he's he's become, you know, I'm I'm shocked with how, with how in he is on on keeping guys in the positions they're comfortable in. Like I think I think since he's taken over and since he start, he started managing the team, he's gotten less and less analytically 
inclined with his decision making. I think uh, it's much it, more feel now. It really is. And I think what I, I was thinking about this the other day, like I want to ask him if I ever ask him a question in my entire life. Yeah, I don't think I ever will. But if I ever get close enough to ask Gabe Kapler a question, I just want to ask him like did getting into a dugout and like away from a computer like help you in a way? Because stepping away from the computer and not always thinking about what would the analytics say to do here or what are the analytics saying to do here and just trusting your baseball instinct. Like it's crazy how fast that has flipped for him. Cause I really do believe that. I think, I think the more he's actually gotten back into baseball, the more he has stepped away from the whole computer side of things. And I like analytics. And I really do. I think it's great, but there's just some things about baseball that it, listen, it's been around for 130 years. Like it's, it's not always broken. Like it doesn't always need to be fixed. And I just think he's he's remembered a lot about actually playing and coaching baseball. And I think it's cool. Yeah, look, I think that um I, I think one thing you can really say is that he's he's learning as he goes and it seems like he's adapting. It seems like he's not making the same mistakes that he made earlier in the season and and that makes sense. He's a really bright guy. You know, whatever people like to complain about him, no one ever says, Well, he's dumb. He's clearly not dumb. He's a smart dude. And I think you make a yeah. great point about his ability to adapt and change what maybe he expected to be like as a manager and maybe why that's happened is a really fascinating thing to look at. But I also think that that when a lot of people were were killing him before the season and in the first week of the season and all that, I think they, like you said, it's kind of just like everyone thought of him as this this computer dude when... We all seem to forget that he very recently played 12 years of Major League Baseball and was on a number of different teams and understands the way clubhouses work and what it's like to relate to guys this age and all that stuff. And I, I really do think that's something that's benefited him as well. Yeah, and I think he... Go ahead, buddy. Well, I, just think, I, think, I think he came into the league thinking, like, this is how I'm going to do it. This is the smart way to do it. These things work, and the math says to do this there. And I just think that once he was like in the what do they what do they call it and when you're in when you're fighting a war and you're down in the what is it foxhole, yeah, and you're in the foxhole, aka the dugout. I just think you go back to your instincts, and I think that's happened a lot this year. And I think I think it's really interesting. I, I'm impressed with the way that he has adapted to to managing. Like if if it feels like we're watching a different <laughs> a different team from the beginning of the year. Like 68 pitches, he's pulling Aaron Nola. Now he's letting Nola pitch 110 pitches because he trusts him. <laughs> like, like he literally says, like, yeah, I just trust him now. It's like, what? Like, analytics Gabe would never have said that kind of thing. But now that he's actually watched and he's, he's, he's developed this relationship with Aaron Nola, he's watched Aaron Nola, like, he gets it. He's like, oh, well, this guy can go way more than 68 pitches. And I know that's just a stupid opening day take. Uh, if He could have easily, whatever. He pitched like 89 pitches the next start, whatever. I'm just saying that uh, I think once you're in the foxhole, you go back to your instincts, and I think he's done a really impressive job of doing that. All right, who's your LVP, Fritz, real quick, flipping it around? Tommy Hunter. Yeah, it's Tommy a, Hunter. I that's a him. good one. I, I, I think most people do. I, I don't need to ever see Tommy Hunter pitch. I actually had a similar thought, but but mine, a different member of that vaunted preseason staff, uh, Hector Neris was the the clear LVP in my opinion, going from the the closer to the minor leagues 
um, and looking atrocious in doing so. But uh, Tommy yeah, Hunter is a great one, too, especially because he's still killing us right now. Yeah, but at least they went away from Hector Neris. Like, everything else. It took them a while. Let's not get carried away here. Hector Neris had a good opportunity to blow up a bunch of games before they got rid of him. Dude, or before they single, demoted him. Every single time they have a, a one-run lead in the seventh inning, I see freaking fat-ass Tommy Hunter yeah. coming out of the bullpen. Tommy Hunter's and I just don't, brutal. He doesn't even... Like, and, what, yeah, I'm with you. His stuff looks terrible. Why is it? Why isn't Nishek getting those those innings? Like, I understand it's still a spring training, but, like, we still have to win games. Like, Tommy Hunter, every time he comes in the game, you're saying to yourself, well, here comes a run. And, like, man, I just, I just can't, I can't take him. I can't take him anymore. I tried to give him the benefit of the doubt for most of the season, but I, I just can't take him anymore. Yeah, he needs a phantom DL stint or whatever. Nice to have Nishak back, though. He's certainly looked good since coming back. Uh, obviously, we don't need to do a Cy Young because of Nola. But if you had, like, who would be your number two Cy Young if you had to pick one? Uh, I think uh, Sir Anthony. Yep, and that, and he's the Rookie of the Year and all that. And he actually is a – look, he's in the running for the actual NL Rookie of the Year as well this year as it's not a particularly potent crop of rookies. You got, um, you know, guys like uh, um, it's even tough. Brian Anderson is a guy who's in the running huh. from the, uh, the Marlins, of course. Um, so it's not, it's not a, a stacked class of uh, Acuna was hurt. Oh yeah. Acuna, Acuna was hurt. Um, there's one other name I'm, I'm missing. Hold on. It'll come to me. I know I'm missing a name of a, Oh, Juan Soto. Who's been great. And obviously, you know, oh, at yeah, 19, right now, probably the, the leader in the clubhouse. But look, Sir Anthony's in the race, especially if he continues to do what he's doing. All right, two more superlatives I want to throw at you. Biggest surprise for you so far for the first half for the Philadelphia Phillies this season? Uh, that's a really good question because I got two guys in mind. Um, I'm, sh- uh, I'm gonna, all right, I'm gonna, I'm gonna preface this by saying that. I'm shocked by how wrong I was on Nick Williams because I literally think he stinks. And I, I just can't believe how, how like I, I can't believe how like, good like I'm gonna I'm gonna say something really nice about Nick Williams. Wow. The, the, everyone get ready. This has I, never happened before. Yeah, because I, I I don't like doing it. But uh, I'm just kidding. I, I'm glad Nick Williams is good. I care more about the Phillies than my own. I think, I think, I think, I hope people know that. Yes. Anyways. Um, <laughs> <laughs> um, uh, no, but like he, he is, if Ben Harris wrote the whole piece um, about how Nick Williams has had the, the biggest transformation in, in controlling the strike zone in Major League Baseball history, like the biggest turnaround from one season to another in in ability to control the strike zone. Wow. And I just think that's crazy. And listen, I think my my judgment of Nick Williams was completely fair and it was right. I didn't expect him to completely change the way he, he was a hitter. Like Nick Williams of last year was a guy that would swing at a bunch of balls outside the plate and and he had a fatal flaw with a fastball up in the zone. Like, that's what Nick Williams was. This year, he is making contact on everything. He's making hard contact. He's not swinging at balls outside the zone. When he does swing at balls outside the zone, he's perfectly fine just slapping it to left field and taking a single. I think it's been a really, really impressive development for Nick Williams. I'm not sure what his ceiling is, but 
I don't think it's completely unrealistic to think he could be Jay Bruce with five less homers a year. Like, is that fair? Like a 260, 275 hitter with a 330 OBP and like 25 homers. I mean, I that's think that's, I I think that's fair. I think that's fair. Very fair, actually. Uh, so I would say I'm surprised by, by Nick Williams being a competent major league player. Still terrible in the outfield, but I'm surprised with how good he is. I never saw it coming. Wow. I feel like we should just end the podcast. I feel like that's like a Costanza, you know, you're out on top. Let's go. Um, look, it's a great one, especially for you as, as such a staunch Nick Williams hater. I, I think this is such a fun question because there are so many positive surprises in the first half of this team. Look, you know, we, we don't have to dig more into NOLA, but I think the how just how good NOLA is and, and will continue to be in my mind and your mind is uh, I think a surprise for a lot of people. Uh, certainly, I didn't expect him to be a top five or ten pitcher in all Major League Baseball. And uh, you know, I think that all, the whole pitching staff really, uh, with Pavetta and Eflin, Eflin especially, I think the one that the most surprising of all for me. But uh, I'm going to go with someone offensively who it's not as much of a surprise because he's been doing what he continues to do. But I think for me, it's just. I finally turned the switch this season to say Cesar Hernandez is just a good hitter and he's just a really good baseball player. And I always looked at him as kind of a, maybe we could flip him for something. He's okay. And I've really come around on Cesar as a, a piece that, that I'm happy to have here and, and is a really good leadoff hitter who is just so consistent with getting on base and he, you know, not the, the best second baseman you'll ever see, but certainly shorthanded enough and, and plays the position well. Um, Jack, Cesar Hernandez is really, like, I finally turned the switch on my surprise that I'm no longer going to be surprised at how good Cesar Hernandez is. Yeah, and I've had the same thought for a little while now in the sense of maybe you keep him, and I think Kingry's, uh, Kingry's, turn a little bit of a corner at shortstop like i think he looks pretty competent there me too um and maybe you don't rush to trade cesar because cesar makes this team better on a, on a night in night out basis he really does he gets on base a lot he he works the counts exactly the way that the the phillies design their offense around he's a perfect leadoff hitter for them he plays a nice second base he's really cheap to like 2021 i think i, I think it would be premature to just rush into a a Cesar trade and put Kingery at second base. Like, like everyone's saying, well, put, put Kingery back in his natural position and he'll be fine. It's like, listen, man, the guy's a 225 hitter right now. Like, I don't think putting him back at second base is going to be like all of a sudden like, oh, now I remember how to hit. No, it's always going to be a, a development for him. So I wouldn't, I wouldn't rush to trade Cesar unless it's in a, a no doubt, a no doubt trade for like a, a, a really good starting pitcher. Like, maybe Fulmer, I would like a little bit better than Fulmer. But I'm not in a rush to trade Cesar Hernandez. I'm really not. I'm, I'm the same way. And, and I wouldn't have told you that a year ago. So, 100% the same page there. Cesar, in my mind, is a guy who helps you win now. And he could be the, the fifth, fourth, fifth, sixth best hitter on a championship team. Like, he could be a piece of something like that. So, um, I'm with you. 100% in on, on Cesar, both in the near term and in the the somewhat 
uh, future, you know, at least the next couple of years, I, I think there's a real possibility that he's a, a guy you keep instead of a guy you get rid of. For it's the final superlative I have for you. We've talked a lot about the positives, as we should, as Gabe Kapler likes to do, and as this Phillies team is in first place. But if you had to pick the one thing that's your biggest disappointment, and obviously we talked LVP and whatnot, but on a, a grander scale than, than a, a guy like Tommy Hunter, what is your biggest disappointment so far with this Phillies team so far uh, through the first half of the season? Uh, I think it's John Maley. I, wow, I really like outside the box answer. Yeah, I didn't want to say the obvious one. So look, I've just been I've been pretty disappointed in a John Maley led offense. I was very excited for him coming in. Um, and I think he still teaches the right principles. But like guys have gotten worse under him and guys haven't really progressed under him. Uh, like Nick Williams, I think, has taken a nice step forward. Cesar's kind of been where he always is, but his average is lower. Um, you know, Reese went through that month stretch where he was terrible. So did Adubel. Aaron Altair, he couldn't make Aaron Altair a good player, which is on him 100%. This is all John Maley's fault. Obviously, because Aaron, Aaron Altair is basically the greatest <laughs> player ever just waiting to be unleashed. Right. And then the fact that, that he couldn't get it out of him is, is on him. But, uh, <laughs> like, guys just – I. I don't know who's gotten better under John Maley. It feels like Santana's have a, a bit of a downturn. I think Reese has been great. He's still batting 260-ish. And he struggled so, in July like, for what it's worth. Reese, I mean, Odubel went through the worst stretch. Well, he went through a classic Odubel stretch. I'm not sure what you can really do with Odubel. But I don't know. I kind of just expected more out of John Maley, and I'm a little disappointed in, in the results we've gotten from a John Maley-led offense. I, I don't know. Yeah, I think that's a, a terrific answer, and I know you alluded to the obvious answer being Arietta. I'm not going to go there either. And I think you could say the defense, and I think that'd be a fair answer as well. But I'm going to go even more outside the box with my answer uh, for biggest disappointment for me in the first half of the season. And, and I understand why it's happened, but it still bothers me that it's happening. Get the hell out to the ballpark, people. I hate watching a first-place Philadelphia Phillies team playing big games in July and June, and there's no one in the ballpark. And it really is a frustrating thing to see, and I understand it. It takes time. It takes time for people to come back and really believe this team is good and to remember what it's like to go down and have a great time at Citizens Bank Park. But it's time. We're there. And I know if they trade for Machado, which we both think are a real, real possibility, that that could help goose things a little bit. But, Jack, people got to get down there, man. This team's legit, and they're going to be fun for a long time. Get in before everyone else does. Yeah, and I think I think they already would be if the offense was more fun. Like, I know me and you both love baseball. We'll watch the Phillies. I know the High Hopes listeners love baseball, and they'll watch the Phillies no matter what. But for the casual fan, like, we fell in love with the Phillies because it was Howard, Rollins, Utley, and you know if you went to the ballpark on any given night, those guys could sell some fireworks. And, like, for the casual fan, it's all about offense. And, like, this team is just a – it's been a boring offense. I understand the walks. They will help you win games. They'll help you more than they'll hurt you. But that doesn't mean it's got to be a fun watch. Like, watching these guys grind out at bats and turn every at bat into a Brett Myers versus CeCe at bat, like, that's great in the NLDS against one of the greatest pitchers of the last decade. It's not great on, an, on, a, on every night. Um, I don't know. I think if the offense was more 
uh, potent and not as inconsistent. And you had Manny Machado to go along with, with everyone. I think uh, people will be showing up more frequently. But, yeah, it's a little bit frustrating. But I also understand that it takes a little while for the fans to come back. And we just came off the Super Bowl and, and the Sixers stuff. So um, now we're just like, oh, a first-place team? Ah, you know, we're used to that here in Philadelphia. But, um, yeah, no, it'd be, it'd be more fun. And I think if you get Machado, like, at least, at least 10,000 more a night. Yeah, one correction for you there. I did not grow up on Chase Utley and Ryan Howard and those guys. I grew up on Steve Jeltz and Ricky Jordan and one magical year with Dutch and Lenny Dykstra yeah, and all of them. I'm an old-ass man, Jack sucks. Fritz. But I, I get your point, and I, and I agree with it. And look, um, like you said, uh, one way or another, this team is fun, and they fight hard every night. If you go out to the ballpark, you're going to see a team that is never out of a game and is always going to yeah, have a chance to win, and, and that's fun. Yeah, but they're fun. they're fun in the sense of diehard Phillies fans being excited that the team's good again. For the casual fan... It's just not as fun when a team's not as consistent on the offensive side of the ball. Like, I, I just think that – I think if they're more consistent and they had a, a more explosive offense or whatever, I just think people will be more in. You know, I think they like – Sure. The, the every, look, everyone, everyone loves offense. Everyone loves home runs. I'm with you. But uh, regardless, this team is is competitive, and, and I think we both think whatever happens here at the deadline, they're going to do something, whether it's – Machado, like we think, or or they end up losing out and going after Beltre or Mustakis or you know Hand or whatever they end up doing. But um, uh, look, I think either way they're going to be a fun team. They're going to be competitive, and and ultimately people will end up going down if they continue to win games, regardless, right, of how they win them. Uh, Fritzy, any final yeah, thoughts no before we uh, before we ultimately probably talk to people in two days on an emergency Manny Machado pod? Uh, two final thoughts, uh, because I, I've seen that. Well, first we didn't really get into it cause I don't think you and John talked about it cause it was after, uh, that podcast came out. I get that to that in a second, but, um, I see a lot of like Carlos Santana stuff and, you know, I understand that he's the four hole hitter and they're paying him, but just cause he's the four hole hitter now, like that doesn't mean he's a four hole hitter. Like, Carlos Santana was was signed to be a key cog in a in a in a nice offense. He's not here to be the Ryan Howard of of the Phillies offense. Like Ryan Howard is great because he could drive in runs. Like Carlos Santana is just a, a good offensive player that is now batting two fifteen, uh, but he's going to end up batting what he always does, and he's still getting on. He's 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 on pace to break the Phillies record for walks. Like that's crazy. And, and walks are valuable. If you grew up playing baseball, your coach always said a walk's as good as a hit. And I understand that he, he, he he's not driving in runs the way they were thought he was and whatever. But he also has a 209 Babbitt, which that's got to come up in the second half. So I, I see a lot of, like, Carlos Santana, you know, worry about him on offense. And they're saying, well, he's a four-hole hitter. He's got to drive in runs. Listen, man, it's not Carlos Santana's fault that he's batting in the four hole. Sure, I'd like for him to drive in 100 runs. I just don't think that's going to happen. Like, I've watched Carlos Santana for the last five years. I understand the player he is. Like, I, just calm down on the Carlos Santana. Once Manny Machado's here, you're not even going to realize. You're not even going to realize what Carlos Santana is doing for his offense. Put him back in the two hole, let him get on base, put Machado in the four hole, Hoskins in the five hole, and let's do some damage. 
I agree. What was your other final point? Uh, Chase Utley is a Hall of Famer, and he was the best player on the, on the team from 2004 on, and I will not hear any other argument against well, that. Yeah, you won't hear it from me. I, I, it, it, I get infuriated with the Jimmy is it more a Hall of Famer than Chase. I think it's... I think it's a bad argument. I get it. I know Jimmy has the numbers, and I know defensively he was superior. But Chase Utley was one of the two or three best players in the sport, potentially, for a five-year period. I don't know. Jack, you know what we're going to do? Uh, whenever the Hall of Fame noms, and, and obviously Utley not going to be uh, eligible for five years down the road, but I want to have a conversation with you about peak versus uh, longevity in terms of numbers, and I think they both matter, but I'm definitely a peak guy if I have to choose between the two, and Utley, a, a classic case of the, the peak mattering over the uh, the longevity. So I'm with you. You won't hear any fight from me. Maybe Marks will be willing to uh, to fight us on that one, and we can get into that. But my final thought, we kind of underplayed it before, Jack, but I don't think we made a big enough deal. I think we really have to congratulate not only Bryce Harper, but... The Washington Nationals. Uh, I think Bryce Harper winning the home run derby in that park in Washington is the single greatest achievement in the history of the Washington National franchise. So, the the first time they made it out, the little first little, little golf clap, little golf clap for them as uh, really as, the, as their as their reign comes to an end, and uh, and it was not as fruitful as they had hoped. All right, rate. Wait, can I go? Can I go inside pitching for like five seconds? Sure. Also, rate and review the podcast to make Fritz happy. Go ahead. Oh yeah, we we've gotten some, we've got, we've are on a nice run on the reviews. He gets so excited about uh, him. Just do the reviews for Jack. If you care at all yeah, about no, Jack, I, do it for Jack. And if you hate Jack, do it for Jack. Well, I don't think anyone hates me. <laughs> I, and if you do hate me, that's just on you. That's a you problem. Anyway, uh, a little inside pitching. So I, I I didn't see any of any of the El Santos on Sunday um, because I was tuna fishing. I caught a tuna, but the Phillies didn't catch their big fish. Heyo. Um, the joke didn't Jake work Ar- on Twitter. It didn't work here. <laughs> Bad Come joke. on. Come on. Someone had to laugh at it. Anyway, um, Jake Arrieta. So uh, really quick, he has found his cutter away to righties and into lefties, and it's really, really helping him, even though he only struck out three against the Marlins, uh, just giving uh, giving hitters something else besides his fastball to key up on. Uh, it, it, it starts the same plane as his fastball, but it cuts away. And I just think it's 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 helping him get back to at least being not a dumpster fire on the mound. So uh, I'm excited about his his cutter getting away to righties and into lefties. It's 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 a legitimate weapon, and uh, anything to make him not terrible, I'm here for, and to hopefully elongate his career. Um, but yeah, no good stuff from Jake Arrieta. Thought he was great in Miami. Got a lot of double plays, and uh, feels like he's starting to figure it out a little bit. Yeah, no, it's good to see. Uh, he certainly looked a lot better in that outing. And, and you know, it's against the Marlins and all that, but it's also a Marlins team that put a six spot up on him earlier in, in uh, I believe it was May or the end of April, when he was actually pitching relatively well at that point. Yep. Um, so, uh, you know, look, uh, every outing that, that Arietta goes out and, and gets out is, uh, is good with me. All right, uh, Fritz, hopefully you and I will be talking in a, a day or two. We'll be talking a little Manny Machado of the Phillies. So uh, I think the only thing we have to say is make it happen, Phillies. <laughs> As always. And I saw some report from John Morosi that they're going to throw Medina in the deal and no other teams willing to put – wait, hold on. John Morosi literally just tweeted, yeah, Philly's I the just most likely destination for Manny Machado due to Adonis Medina involvement. Um, unless another suitor increases offer – 
reported earlier today the trade is very close. Here's our latest story. So, listen, uh, folks, it's coming, it's coming down to it. We'll be back in like five hours with another podcast. As soon so, as it happens, listen up. Yeah, Fritz and I will be there. We will be there for you. We will talk about it because, as Jack always says, there is no one or anyone anywhere who we love more than the High Hopes listeners. That's why we're up at 11.15 at night with, uh, you know, just sitting here. I've got the ALNL stupid softball game thing on, just just, just, <laughs> just gutting it out uh, because we, we love you guys. And, uh, and hopefully we'll be talking to you about Manny Machado soon. So uh, for Jack Fritz, uh, for the Abs and John Marks, for future Philly Manny Machado, thank you for listening to another edition of the High Ups Podcast. We'll see you guys later.